0: remember that you can do this like it can be fun it does not have to be scary um and your future self will thank you for all of the delicious <laughs> results as you go to pull out the flavor of summer you know when it's snowing and below zero like yeah. it is here today so yeah you can, you can enjoy that that tomato flavor that you that you can back in august
1: Welcome back to the Taste of the Wind podcast. I'm BJ with Taste of the Wind out of Centennial, Wyoming. I am interviewing Emily Forbes from the Forbes Family Farm this time out of Manila, Utah. Uh, the Forbes have a CSA-based farm. Uh, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And we do a similar model at Taste of the Wind, but with meat products. Uh, the Forbes Family Farm focuses on vegetables. In fact, they have 70 different varieties of vegetables and they also offer pork, chicken, turkeys, ducks, beef, and eggs. And they do some farm to table dinners on the farm as well as some Airbnb opportunities to stay on the farm. So they're a busy family if you can't tell. But their website is www.theforbesfamilyfarm.com if you're interested in learning more, uh, visiting their blog, or perhaps paying their farm a visit. And their CSA opens this week, actually. So if you wish to purchase a CSA share, head on over to their website. I have also mentioned a ton of different resources in this episode, and Emily had a bunch as well. So I linked to those in the show notes in case you wanted to reference any of those yourself. As far as the episode goes, it's a great episode. Holy cow, I learned so much, and I thought I already knew a bunch about preserving vegetables. So I hope you thoroughly enjoy, and I'll talk to you again at the end. don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your operation and what areas you serve.
0: Yep, certainly. So my husband and I actually are not farmers. We come from farm families, um, but we've had an interest in healthy eating and a passion for cooking that really has developed over the last you know, 15 years that we've been married. And so we were actually originally living in Denver, Colorado, in a condo in the heart of downtown. Um, But we started growing what we could on a container balcony basis that, you know, we had our lettuce and peppers and tomatoes and a little basil plant in our windowsill. And so we started growing in whatever space we had available. And eventually we grew, grew our family into another house. We got backyard chickens and bees. We planted some fruit trees, expanded our garden space. But over time, we just felt like we wanted to do more, and we wanted to connect even more deeply with where our food came from and with the quality of food that we are feeding our families. So uh, almost four years ago now, back in spring of 2018, we decided to leave our corporate jobs in the city and actually move out to start our farm. So we are in Manila, Utah, which is northeast Utah, Just about five miles south of Wyoming, um, or about 20 miles of Colorado. And so we have a farm now where we grow about 70 different varieties of produce. And we also have pasture raised poultry, pork, beef, and yak, kind of a fun novelty, um, creature. Um, but it's a lot of fun for us to really be able to, to dive into kind of running a a full scale homestead. And we try to use, you know, as many organic and regenerative practices as possible to build the health of our soil and to really nourish not only our own family, but really our local community as well. And so we sell most of our produce and our meat through a community-supported agriculture model where our community members will become members of our farm and purchase a share in the spring, and they'll actually then get a, a box or a bag of produce for 22 weeks throughout the season which is pretty impressive because we have a pretty short growing season yeah. here. So we're able to use some, some poop houses and a little nursery space to get things started. So even right now at this time of year, we have seeds going right now. Um, so it's been a lot of fun for us. It's been a learning experience. We've certainly dabbled in gardening and farming for years, but um, now we're making it as our, as our full-time living. Awesome.
1: So can you tell me a little bit more about what you guys did before? What jobs did you have before?
0: Certainly, yeah. So I worked at the University of Denver. That's actually where we met on campus as students. Awesome. <laughs> and then after I graduated, I stayed working there and was our director of marketing and communications for the enrollment division. So essentially, uh, the recruiters who are going out to high school and working with transfer students who are interested in coming to the University of Denver. Um, and then Steve was a paramedic with Denver Health for, for a number of years, we moved into healthcare leadership, and was the director of an ER for Rose Medical Center. So it's not farming related at all. I studied <laughs> business and French and we studied international studies and in geography. So we took uh, some different routes. But we've always been very curious people, always interested in learning more. So you know, we've attended conferences and watched videos and joined master classes and you know read so many books, talked to so many people along the way. Um, but even though it was a pretty big kind of scary leap to Leave everything that's familiar. Um, we also felt pretty confident that we would be successful. We knew that we'd work hard and and we'd do the best that we could.
1: Yeah, it's it been, sounds it's like been a fun journey. Yeah, and it sounds like you guys have really turned it into something that serves your community pretty well.
0: Exactly, and and where we're located, I mean, we're really the only farm for about a hundred miles in any direction. Wow, there's just not a lot. okay there's a lot of ranching out here, but not necessarily people growing produce. Um, Kind of the only people really doing a lot of the the pork and the poultry that we actually sell. Some people do a little bit on their own. Uh, So in a a way, it's a little bit of a food desert. We actually have a tiny little market in town that's kind of a glorified convenience center. I mean, it doesn't really have, you know, a lot of organic options or natural options for people to choose from. So the closest grocery store is over an hour away.
1: Wow. That's crazy. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) It is a little crazy. I've never lived anywhere with less than a million people, and I moved to a town with just over 300, uh, which is also a, a bit of a change as well. But it's a great little community. We've really loved it. Um, that's great. There's great, great of people who want to support local farmers and want to have really good, high-quality produce for their families. So it, it's been a good fit for
1: us. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I had a couple of my listeners actually listen or um, excuse me, reach out to me. And asked me if I could do some episodes about preserving because we really are, I don't know how your season works, but we're kind of in that time of year where people are, are signing up for CSAs or their CSA lists are kind of closing so that farmers can get started with their growing season or at least their plans for their growing season. So if there's folks out there right now who are like, well, I don't know, should I sign up for a CSA? That sounds like a lot of vegetables. And I don't know if I can eat them all on time before they go bad. So I've had a couple people reach out to me asking about preserving food, particularly vegetables. And I do canning and things like that myself, but I am not doing it on a commercial scale for anyone else, so this is why I really wanted to bring you on because I know you have a lot of experience, and looking at your blog, I can tell you help people through that process um, over and over again. If you, for the first couple questions that people have asked me are, what are the benefits of preserving vegetables? And I know there are some pretty obvious ones that most people know, but um, are there things that most people don't already know about preserving the harvest?
0: Yes, that is a great question because I think whether you are purchasing food from a local farmer or growing food in your own backyard, one of the key reasons is to take advantage of all the fresh local produce when it is available. And I assume that many of your listeners know you know, some of the benefits of eating local foods that it, there are more nutrients, there's a much better flavor, you're eating in tune with the seasons, you know, supporting the local economy, you know, there's huge benefits to the environment and, you know, a safer food supply and all of these things. So when you're preserving that local food, you're reaping all of those same benefits. You know, and for some of us, as I just mentioned, we have a pretty short growing season. Yeah. So we want to make the most of that produce. And so that means, not just preserving, but really using every part of the vegetable when we're eating it fresh. So, for example, you know, using carrot tops to make pesto rather than just throwing them in compost or putting the beet greens into smoothies, you know, as well as finding ways to preserve that produce so that we can enjoy it later in the year. And, and on our farm, you know, we try to preserve as much as possible throughout the harvest season so that we can primarily eat the food that we grew year-round. You know, now there are certainly times where we'll still, you know, buy bananas or lemons or something at the store because yeah. we just can't grow those there. trying, <laughs> but we haven't grown them yet. Yeah. You know, but we try to utilize a wide variety of preservation methods so that we can eat our own produce and really be more self-sustainable and, you know, always have food on hand so that we can pull together a delicious meal without having to run into the grocery store. Especially for us, it takes over two hours to run into the grocery store. Yeah. So we want to have that food on hand. You know, and with some of the preservation methods, you know, we're actually even able to add more nutrients to the produce, you know, can we can talk about all those details later, but it really is such a great way to capture the flavor and the nutrients while they are at their peak so that you then really can enjoy the benefits of it out.
1: Yeah, that's awesome, because that's true. I mean, when we, all of us go to the grocery store, we're eating plants that are grown out of season. It's surely amazing the difference in the flavor and the nutrient profile of plants that are growing when they naturally can complete that life cycle. It's people who don't know, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> I know, it makes such a difference. Yeah. So that being said, what are some things that people can start to gather up or how can they prepare their home for embarking on this vegetable adventure that is going to start here pretty soon, in the next few weeks for some people.
0: Exactly. You know, I think as you know, many people are thinking about preserving, I think they jump straight to canning, you know, which is a great method to create food that is shelf-stable. It can sit on your pantry shelf all winter, but it's also a very involved process that needs you know, some special equipment, and it's really best for when you have a large quantity of produce that you want to preserve all at the same time. So this is things like tomato sauce, salsa, jam, pickles. You know, but there are other methods that are easier to do with a small amount of produce. So it's a helpful way to use up you know the little remnants of veggies remaining in your fridge before you get your next bag of veggies from your farmer or before you go out to harvest in your own garden. You know, So a good example is that you could... You know, freeze the rest of your green beans or your berries or your broccoli because you can have just a tiny quantity to freeze. You don't need to wait until you have a big huge batch like you might for canning. So I think it's pretty um, important to think about using a mix of different techniques to preserve the harvest. Um, And I think even probably more importantly is to really think about how you and your family cook and how you enjoy eating produce because that will directly impact the methods that you will choose to use. I think there's nothing worse than spending all this time preserving the harvest only to find it still on your shelf or in your freezer a year later because you never actually used
1: it. Or you make um, 10 bags our- of kale chips that you're never going to eat.
0: <laughs> exactly. I know one of our, our CSA members shared with us this summer that a friend had given them a ton of apples. So they literally made hundreds of jars of apple butter going to discover that they might actually only go through, like, one jar a month. And so now they have all of this apple butter taking up all this room on their shelves, you know, and they're giving away to friends and things. But in a way, it's kind of going to waste because they realize that's not the method that is going to, like, really fit their lifestyle. They're not using apple butter all the time. Perhaps, you know, having dried apples may have been a good snack to go for. And so I think it's just important to think about how you actually eat and certainly there's room for experimentation and trying new things um, but really start especially if you're just getting started on this journey think through like what you and your family like to eat on a regular basis so you can really plan your preservation around that so if you make pizza every Friday night maybe you'll want to learn how to can pizza sauce for example so, <laughs> yeah yeah you want to fit your lifestyle and your preferences and don't just do it because you think it sounds like a good idea, think about whether or not that's actually something you'll figure out how to incorporate into your cooking, you know, down the road.
1: Awesome. That's great advice that I don't hear coming from everybody. So thank you. Um, what are some specific tools that people can start to make sure they have so that they'll be ready to do that? Like you said, at the end of their box, they're almost ready to go get their next bag or box of veggies, and they're like, oh, quick, i got to preserve this before it's bad. What, what are some of those things that they can have on hand that will make that easier for them? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, and that comes back to making sure you have your plan so you know what you need because this is a a great time of year to start finding that equipment that you're going to need, So that way you don't get to August and you have all of these tomatoes ready to make sauce. And you realize that you can't find canning jars or canning lids, which has been a little bit of a problem. The last few years there have been shortages. So this is a great time to think about, you know, if I want to can this year, then maybe I need to find the canning jars and the lids, um, things that you know that you'll need. Um, and there's a lot of, um, specifics, I think, for, for the different methods. So I'll try and give a kind of a high-level overview. But again, okay. depending on which preservation method you, you plan to try, you know, there's some ways that you can do it and kind of scrap it together with what you have, but there are some methods where you're really going to need kind of the proper equipment in order for it to turn out successfully. So, for instance, with canning, there's two different methods. There's water bath canning, which is essentially boiling water in a large pot for a specified amount of time with your jars of food inside. So many places sell you know, water bath canning kits to give you all kinds of the tools that you need to lift the jars out safely and things. But that's something that you can look online and kind of DIY it a little bit yourself. Um, but then the second method for canning is pressure canning, um, which is different than an Instant Pot. I want to just clarify that right up front. It's a separate pressure canner. Uh, you have to have the right equipment for that. And that's really essential for canning any low-acid foods, which will include most of your vegetables. Or if you want to do, you know, chicken stock or things, um, you're going to need a pressure canner. Um, so that's something that you might want to be to be thinking about. Um, and then drying or dehydrating food is a really popular method as well. Now, it's possible that you might be able to get a low enough heat setting on your oven. You really need it down close to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, But you can find this food dehydrator. You can actually make your own solar dehydrators. Um, Steve and I uh, created one in our house in Denver, and then we created a larger one here. I think we have a YouTube video on it, but you can actually really harness the power of the sun to dehydrate some of your food for you. Um, And then freeze drying is becoming really popular. I haven't done a ton with that, but that's one method um, for dehydrating and drying food as well.
1: Yeah, the Um, last interview I did, we went on a we went down a rabbit hole about freeze drying. It's it's pretty crazy how how into it people are getting. So there's some good Facebook groups and um, YouTube videos if people want to explore freeze drying more. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Do you have any recommended yeah. books? Um, I'm looking at my my two favorites are the Ball Complete Book of Home Preserving and the Ultimate Healthy Dehydrator Cookbook. But... Do you have any favorite books that you would recommend for preserving?
0: Yes. Um, the two that you mentioned are great as well. I've looked at those. Um, the one that I have that I actually got years ago, but I find it still is a really helpful resource. is called Can It? Start Canning and Preserving Today. It's by Jackie callahan Parente? Parent? I don't know exactly how she pronounces her last name, Um, but it's a really good resource, and even though the title makes it sound like it's just about canning, she actually covers fermenting and pickling and a a few other methods in there as well, but I think she does a good job of balancing, really providing you with some of the science so you know why it's important to follow certain steps, um, along with really making it accessible and making it fun And making sure that you don't feel too intimidated. Because I think a lot of people are intimidated because there are some safety concerns to keep in mind. Um, But I think as long as you're following tested recipes, um, then I think, you know, it's a lot of fun and you can experiment and you can try different flavors and uh, of things and it can be a really fun process too. It doesn't have to be super scary um, but you do just need to make sure that you are following updated tested recipes. So the general rule of thumb, thumb is that um, anything that was pre-1988 is probably not a recipe you should be using. So even though your grandma may have passed down her recipe, um, I would actually go and make sure that you have the new most updated research on on really um canning and
1: preserving safely. And I know that um, our extension office in Wyoming um, has some guidelines on how to convert recipes that are older so that they'll be safer. Do you have any other tips? Because I know there's a lot of fear around canning because of most mostly it's because of botulism. Um, but other than that, just using the most updated versions of recipes, are there any other tips you have for preventing risk of, I mean, some people think they're going to kill their family if they preserve their own food. So how do they eliminate that risk?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, I think that, um, it, I mean, it is a legitimate concern, but again, I think as long as you're following some basic sanitation guidelines, I mean, you're washing your hands, you're using produce that is unblemished. So, for instance, if you go out to your garden and your tomatoes kind of smashed, you know, that's that's an opening for potential bacteria to get in. So that's not going to be a tomato that you want to put in your jar of salsa. So I would still probably cut that tomato in half and eat the good half myself and let the other half, you know, go to the compost or go to the pigs or something. But yeah. um, if you're actually going to be preserving it, you want to make sure that it's produce that's in really good condition. Um, and for a lot of the things like with canning, you're going to want to sterilize your jars. And Basically, you're putting them in boiling water to help sterilize them. So I think as long as you're following kind of those basic sanitation guidelines and you're following the tested recipe, you can feel really confident in what you're doing and you're serving your family. Um, you will need to make some adjustments to some recipes based on your altitude. Essentially, you're, you're probably just adding some additional time that you'll actually need you know, to process the jars for canning, for instance. Um, But that should be clearly laid out in the recipe that you follow. And I think kind of the ultimate online guide is the National Center for Home Food Preservation. And a lot of extension offices will point you there as well. Um, So if you're in doubt, that's a good place to go.
1: Awesome. That's great.
0: One other quick note is that when you receive, you know, the produce from your farmer or from your garden, I think it is really important to know how to store it properly, not just to preserve it, but really so that you get the most storage life out of it, just even while you're planning to eat it fresh. You know, for instance, you know, you need to cut the greens off of your root veggies because otherwise the greens will drain the moisture from the roots and cause them to shrivel. And so you'll have these beautiful carrots and radishes and beets, and then you go to cook with them three days later and they're all shriveled. That's because you've got the greens on them. So you can still store the greens and the roots separately in your fridge, but you want to actually take those off. And um, so I I do think just making sure you familiarize yourself with how to store your vegetables um, is going to go a long way to making sure not only can you enjoy them fresh, but also can you make the most out of them when you go to preserve them.
1: So do you have any recommendations for resources so people can learn how to do those little storage tricks that you just talked about?
0: Um, I mean, generally, like, a good rule of thumb is that, you know, most vegetables you're probably going to want to refrigerate. There's some exceptions to that. Things like tomatoes are going to have much better flavor if you leave them out of the refrigerator. They don't actually like going in that cold. Um, and I'd say something that we see and hear a lot from our CSA members you know, is that they want to kind of just store all the vegetables loose in the fridge in their crisper drawer. And that's easy, and it uses less plastic, which we're always a fan of as well. But that isn't actually great for long-term storage. And you really should store most of your veggies, especially your greens, in plastic bags in the fridge. So we wash all of our bags and reuse them again and again. Um, And actually, a farmer friend this past season recommended using Debbie Meyer green bags to help extend the life of the produce. So we've been using them for over a year now and have been really impressed with how well they have extended the life of of our produce as
1: well. Awesome. So are those reusable, those green bags?
0: They are. So they say reusable up to, you know, 10 uses or so, but I'm still using the same package of them that we had purchased last spring. Wow. they, they do last a long
1: time. That's great. So now that we're presumably ready to start in on the actual process, Um, is this something you would recommend trying to do weekly or try to save up your vegetables until you have a big batch? Or what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yes, I'd say the short answer is both. (laughs) The longer answer is, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors to consider um, as, as you're looking at whether you're doing it weekly or you're, you're doing big batches. And I think one of the factors to think about which is just how much time you have right then to preserve the item. And there are some things that you can kind of store up for later. So, for instance, tomatoes um, can actually just be put in your freezer until you're ready to do a big batch. So that's a nice way to kind of save yourself some time if you don't have, you know, two or three hours to probably can up a batch of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. You can just stick a bunch in a freezer um, and then pull them out, you know, a couple weeks later when you're ready to actually go through and make make a big batch. Um, and also it depends on just what's available in that season. So early in the spring, so we might freeze some of our greens or we'll make some quick pickles with some of the early root crops, but we don't really have anything coming in yet that really has the quantities to do a big batch of cans. But later in the season, you know, for us it's typically August and September are the really big months for processing big batches of food so we'll set aside you know a couple whole days to make big batches of crushed tomatoes and salsa applesauce and pickles and so we'll do a little bit kind of throughout this season but i'd say that august september time frame is when you know of course we're already tired because it's the end of the season (laughs) that's when you really need to have all of the all of the preservation methods kind of down so you can kind of go with it and preserve everything as it's really coming into its peak season at least here for us I mean that's really really the peak of our season
1: yeah that's great and I I know a lot of folks who are into eating local already have big freezers and it it so happens that a lot of people purchase a side of beef or a whole hog in the fall so it's nice that you can you can play that game where your meat's decreasing and your veggies are increasing and then you can empty your freezer real fast by doing a big canning batch and get your freezer ready for that half a beef or whatever's coming in for the winter time. So that's interesting. So you talked a little bit about quick pickles. Can you go into those um, briefly for us?
0: Certainly. Um, So quick pickling is one of my favorite preservation techniques just because it's a great way to use up Kind of those odds and ends that end up in your fridge at the end of the week before you go get more veggies um so they don't preserve as long as can so typically they'll last for about a month in the refrigerator but it's really quick and easy you can add a lot of different flavors basically you're choosing a variety of veggies and it really is a wide variety so i mean i think you hear quick pickling and you think of cucumbers, but you can do it with carrots and radishes and beets and so many different vegetables. And you're basically creating um, a brine. So a mix of vinegar and water. Most recipes are about half and half. And the ratios don't matter as much for quick pickling because you're not actually canning it mm-hmm. so you can kind of play with that ratio a little bit until you find a flavor profile that you and your family enjoy but then you can add you know, whatever other Ooh. seasonings you like so we'll often do garlic or dill sometimes we'll do some cumin or if it's ones that just my husband and I are eating we'll do some red chili flakes or something to make it little spicier. spicier and so you can really put any of those veggies Basically into, you know, a quart size jar or a a pint size jar and then um, fill it up the rest of the way with that brine and you can put it in your fridge and it's ready to eat as soon as the next day. So it really is a fun way to just change up the flavor of some of the vegetables. I love adding them onto salads or just using them as a a little snack or an appetizer. And it's a great way to just use up all those little, little bits and pieces of veggies that you still have left in your, in your fridge at the end of the
1: week. Yeah, and I've noticed that they really crisp up a lot. Even if you're putting sort of um, shrivelly or floppy vegetables into that brine, it seems like it kind of enlivens them again for a little bit longer. Yeah, exactly,
0: and it it takes. A bite away from some of them. I'm thinking of radishes in particular, mm-hmm. which I like. They're not necessarily like my favorite vegetable, <laughs> um, but when we do a quick pickling with radishes, then I love adding them onto salads and tacos, and I feel like I can um, just, I guess, take the take the bite out, and so I can enjoy them a little bit more when I'm yeah. using them in a quick pickle.
1: Yeah, that's great. So you did say that it's a mixture of vinegar and water. Is there any salt that goes into that too, or is it just... There been... is, yeah. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome. Yes. Well, there I know is. there's some, and, yeah. some recipes for... They call them fridge pickles, I think, in this ball home preserving book that I talked about. I know there's some recipes for fridge pickles in here, um, but is there any other place people can go for some favorite recipes of fridge pickles or quick pickles?
0: Yes, yeah, so it's actually something that we send out. So on our on our website, theforbesfamilyfarm dot we actually have a free um, farm to table guide to give people some ideas and inspiration for how to create meals out of fresh veggies. Um, and we actually send out a recipe for quick pickling and again it's a flexible recipe so you can adjust the spices and the veggies that you're using as you want to and we send that out as a thank you to people who signed up to get that guide
1: awesome that's great and that's easy you just put your first name and email right and they get it in their inbox perfect exactly some folks were wondering if preserving is something that is easy to involve your family in, or is it something you want to do when your kids are gone <laughs> at school? What's, what's What do you guys do?
0: Yes, I think we do a little bit of both. Um, there are yeah. <laughs> definitely ways to create jobs for everyone in your family, and I find that for our kids, they're much more likely to try it and eat it and enjoy it if they played a part in actually making it. And so, you know, our kids are currently eight, six, and four, Mm -hmm. and they can all be involved to different degrees. And I think as with any time you're bringing your kids into the kitchen, make sure that they know, you know, basic kitchen health and safety rules, washing their hands, how to use a knife safely, kind of all of those things. But, you know, for instance, last summer, we set up a really great assembly line making pickles. So we had one child. You know, rinsing and scrubbing the cucumbers. One was cutting them into wedges. Another one helped pack them into the jars. And then my husband and I made the brine and actually put the jars into the water bath canner. Kind of did most of the things at the stove. Mm -hmm. But the whole family was able to participate together. And, you know, now all season long as we've been enjoying those pickles, they'll say, oh, so are these my pickles? Are these the ones that (laughs) I made? And so it increases the likelihood that they're actually going to eat those pickles or whatever it is that you're making if they got to play a role in it.
1: Yeah, so you're fighting two battles there, really. <laughs> exactly. It's a winning combination. Yeah, that's great. So you did talk a little bit earlier about how some methods will preserve more nutrients than others. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yes,
0: yeah, certainly. I mean, many preservation methods really keep the nutrient level fairly similar. So freezing or curing or drying really maintains nutrients. Um fermentation can actually increase the level of nutrients because in the process itself, it's resulting in probiotics that are really great for your overall gut health, um, and it actually makes the nutrients more available to your body. Um, So that is a really important one um, if you want to increase the nutrients. Um, the, The one thing about fermentation is that sometimes people will, you know, make their fermented pickles, and then they think, oh, I don't have enough fridge space to store this, so maybe I should can it. But any time that you are applying heat, you will have some nutrient loss. And so you kind of have to weigh out what your face looks like in terms of how much you can store. Because if you're fermenting something, you're actually fermenting it on the counter, you know, kind of room temperature for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, depending on what you are fermenting. But after it's kind of gone through that fermentation process, you do actually need to store it. In cold storage, so like a refrigerator. So okay. if you don't have a kind of refrigerator space, you will have to think about, you know, what else you might do to preserve that longer. And so a lot of people will then think about canning some of those things. But you do lose some of the nutrients that you just gained in the fermentation process if you go through the canning process. Yeah. So it's just kind of laying that out. So for our family, we'll always do sauerkraut, which is a fermented food, and we'll make space for it in our fridge. Um, But something like pickles, you maybe will ferment a batch of pickles throughout the summer and we'll enjoy them, you know, for a month or two. But for pickles that I'm going to be using this time of year, I'm going through the traditional canning process.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. But that's another reason to have that plan that you talked about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So do you have, in your CSA, do you have any of those infamous vegetables that people When they get it, they're just like, gosh, I don't know what to do with all this.
0: Of course, we all have those. We try to plan as much as we can to have this good variety, but there are going to be some things that people feel like, ah, what do I do with this? (laughs) And I think one of those for us is kind of those heartier, leafier greens. So things like kale or chard or collards. Um, even spinach to some extent, although people are more familiar with spinach and can find other ways to use it. And so for a lot of those kind of hardier greens, they can all be frozen or dehydrated. So your hardier greens, like your spinach, your kale, you know, your chard and collards, they can be frozen or dehydrated. Those are probably the two best preservation methods. And most recipes for freezing will recommend that you blanch the vegetable first, Mm -hmm. which is essentially just bringing a large pot of water to boiling, adding small amounts of vegetable to it for just a couple minutes, um, and then pulling it out and putting it in the bowl of ice water to stop the cooking process. And so while you can freeze without blanching, and you'll find people online talking about how they freeze their food without blanching, um, it's still safe to eat, but the blanching process stops the enzymes that will break down your food over time. So if you do actually go ahead and blanch those greens first, it will help preserve the color and the texture of the food so that you'll actually be able to enjoy it for a much longer period of time. So if you decide just to freeze it um, without blanching, you better eat that pretty quickly. Otherwise, that texture is really going to deteriorate pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge because it takes a little bit more time to set up you know, the boiling water and the ice water. Um, but for us, it's worth it because we love putting those into soups and stews and smoothies. In fact, tonight we're going to make kind of a Succa de Toscana soup with some kale. And so I can just grab a little bit of frozen kale out of the freezer, add it to the soup, um, and it's a really great way to use it really throughout the year. So one little trick on that, though, if you are going to preserve the hardy greens by freezing Um, is that after you blanch them, you know, you try to squeeze out as much of the water as you can. And then I fold it into little balls, roughly the size of golf balls, and then put them on a baking sheet to freeze like that in the little ball shape. And then after they're frozen solid, I take them off the baking sheet and store them in just like a gallon-sized plastic bag that I just kind of keep reusing. Because by kind of freezing them individually, it allows you to just pull out one or two you know, balls of kale or chard, and then add that to your, you know, your soup or stew or smoothie when you're going to cook it. Because if you just put it all together and it in the freezer <laughs> bag, it's super challenging. Yeah. To it out, like smashing it, yeah. trying to,
1: trying to rip out stuff. You need an ice pick to make dinner.
0: <laughs> you do, know you do. That we have all done there before. Yep, so, I have to. Well, it's so much easier.
1: <laughs> yep, that's a great tip. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to use that for that's sure. For <laughs> Yes, it (laughs) helps. Awesome. So, a lot of folks that listen to this are probably in an area where they could source their vegetables from you, but for folks who are further away, um, do you have any recommendations for how those folks can find someone like you who is offering vegetables and who is offering tips on how to manage the vegetables throughout the CSA season?
0: Yes, certainly. Um, and while they sound obvious, I say my first tip is actually just to start by asking your family and friends if they know of any farmers or food producers. I mean, many of our best farm customers found us by word of mouth. They you mm-hmm. know, met one of our current CFA customers or something. So use your network. So say that's your first place to start. Yeah. Uh, and then go check out your local farmers market. So, I mean, that's a great opportunity to actually talk to the people growing food in your area. Um, one little thing to watch out for is that some um, some farmers markets allow basically food distributors or wholesalers to come, and they're just sourcing food from a wide variety of farms and reselling it at the farmers market. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily local. So you may just want to ask about where the farm is, and um, really you can ask questions about the growing practices to determine you know if their values and how they choose their farm really align with what's important to you. So you can ask about. You know, whether or not they follow organic practices. So whether or not someone is certified organic, um, at least for me, is not a, a breaking point because the actual certification process to be certified organic can be pretty time-consuming and expensive. And so there are a lot of great farmers who are not certified organic who still follow, you know, the same organic practices, you know, not using pesticides and antibiotics and, and all of those things. So for me... That's still a farmer that I would choose to support. But because you have a chance to get to know them and ask questions, then you get a better sense of, of you know, how they approach their crops or their animals and you know, how they think about their role and, you know, being a steward of the land and how those practices then impact the quality of the food that I'm going to eat. Um, and some farmers, you know, may not actually be at a farmer's market, but may actually be um, selling the vegetables through a community-supported agriculture program, like I mentioned we do. Um, And in in a CSA program, community members basically purchase a share of the farm's harvest and then receive that produce or meat or dairy or whatever their their CSA includes all season long. And uh, from my perspective, this model is, is really great because it allows the community to share in both the risk and the rewards of the farmer. So it's a great way to support your local farmer and to really kind of be in the game with them. You're understanding, you know, what the weather patterns might be doing. It's, it's interesting, you know, we've had a really dry winter and we've had several CSA customers reach out and say, how are you guys doing? How are you feeling about the season? The <laughs> yeah, paying attention more because they're invested. They feel like they are a part of the farm and, and they really are a part of the farm. And so... Uh, One of the best sites for finding a CSA in your area is localharvest.org, and again, they have farms all across the country listed on there. Most states also have a directory of local farms, so here in Utah, we have a great organization. It's actually run through UDAF, called Utah's Own, and they help promote local farm offerings, too. So you may want to see if your state also has some kind of um, way of collecting information about local farmers.
1: And I do want to add to that the USDA website does have a directory and you can sort it by state. It's not all inclusive by any means, but farmers can go up, they can go look up that um, page on the USDA website and add themselves as well. So if there's any farmers out there listening to this, go right over there and add yourself because it's free and anyone can access that directory as well. Folks want to actually be a part of your farm. What's the best way for them to do that? How do they learn more about you? How do they sign up for your CSA? Yes, yeah, of course.
0: So, probably the best place to start is our website, theforbsfamilyfarm.com. There's another Forbes family up in Canada and they are great, but it's not the same farm. So, we have theforbsfamilyfarm.com. Uh, and we have a lot of great recipes and resources you know, on there to help people learn how to grow and prepare farm-to-table meals, and as I mentioned earlier, we have our free farm-to-table guide, which anyone can download to give you some quick meal inspiration for turning that garden fresh produce into delicious meals. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at The Forbes Family Farm, um, and then our CSA registration opens actually this week, the so last week in February, every year. Um, we also really welcome people to come out to see the farm for themselves. So we host some farm-to-table dinners. We have a few little Airbnb properties and covered wagons that people can stay in if they really want to come and, and kind of have that farm farm experience.
1: That's awesome. It sounds like you guys are pretty busy.
0: We are. We do a lot. <laughs> we do a lot. It's <laughs> nice with our seasons, though. This time of year, it's a little bit slower, so we can do some other projects as
1: well. Yeah, hopefully take a breather and get ready for the next plunge. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, what's your favorite vegetable and how do you like to prepare it? Oh, such a good question. <laughs> it's probably um, hard to choose. I
0: think now that you actually grow, now that we actually grow our own vegetables, I feel like the vegetables that I enjoy has, you know, grown exponentially. Um, yeah, but I would say probably green beans are kind of my favorite go-to because they're so versatile and they can be pulled together really quickly, which is also super helpful when I'm planning my meals and I'm like, okay, I forgot to do a good side for this. I can always pull green beans either out of the garden if it's in season or it's something that we freeze a lot. I prefer them frozen to canned, just my own personal preference. So I can pull them out literally like as I'm getting the rest of the meals together and I can saute them with some butter and garlic, finish it with a little lemon zest or toasted nuts or parmesan cheese and it literally takes me 10 minutes to pull it together and it's just this great addition to any meal everybody in my family enjoys them so it's a win in my book
1: (laughs) yeah that's awesome (laughs) so I know some folks they hear about all this and all the vegetables and all the healthy food and all the preserving and all the time it takes and it, it can get a little bit overwhelming so do you have any tips or last words of encouragement for folks who are like, oh, my gosh, what did I just get myself into?
0: <laughs> yes, and I know it can be intimidating, but I would say don't let yourself be intimidated by all the information, but just start by identifying one or two items that you really want to preserve and just start there. So, for instance, you know, in my family, one of my kind of non-negotiables that I canned, you know, as long as I as I can remember, is peaches. So it's the one thing that my mom and I canned together, and it was like my favorite snack after school all growing up. And so to this day, every year, we will can peaches. So, um, you know, figure out what that one thing is for you that really helps, you know, bring those flavors of summer to you. And it could be really simple, like literally as simple as hanging herbs upside down in your kitchen to dry so that you have them oregano or thyme or basil to put into your, you know, pasta sauce in the winter. So it really can be simple. You don't have to, you know, invest in all the equipment for all the methods. So choose one and really figure out what it takes. Experiment a little bit, um, and then move on to try something new. Um, another great piece of advice, and this is something I did a lot when we were living in the city, we've done it a little bit now, is You know, actually make it kind of a a party, make it an event, invite friends to come preserve with you. I think it's always more fun to work together and chat while you work, (laughs) you know, and each of you will have, you know, different areas of expertise that you bring to it and different knowledge and it's just a really fun way to kind of share some of those skills and at the end of the day, you're actually taking home food that you can, you know, put up on your shelves or in the freezer and you have some amazing products that you're going to enjoy really throughout the year.
1: Yeah, we've done that here as well, especially when COVID first hit. There were restaurants in the area who were just giving away tons of produce. So a couple of friends of mine got together and we just canned it all. And then we gave it back to people because we knew people would be able to use it more efficiently that way. And it was so much fun, even though we didn't end up with tons of vegetables for ourselves we were like this is so fun and then we can give these to people that we know in our community and it's just one of those things that facebook and instagram can't do for you you know
0: (laughs) yeah oh exactly it can be a great community builder i mean this is what people have done for you know centuries they work together to preserve food and yeah it's a great way to build community too
1: that's awesome is there anything else you want to add to this discussion about vegetables and preserving?
0: Man, we have covered a lot today. Yeah, um, we have. I mean, we could talk for hours so I'm sure. Yep. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing for people to remember is that you can do this. Like, it can be fun. It does not have to be scary. Um, and your future self will thank you for all of the delicious <laughs> results. As you go to pull out the flavor of summer, you know, when it's, knowing and below zero like it is here today so you can enjoy that 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 tomato flavor that you that you can back in august so definitely just get started um get started with something and and enjoy the process
1: that's so great well thank you so much i appreciate your time and i'm so excited for the listeners to be able to access all this amazing information and just a little snippet here so Thank you for fitting us in, because I know you were running kids here and there and trying to get everything done. So thank you. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode today with Emily Forbes of the Forbes Family Farm in Manila, Utah. I did mention that... They are launching their CSA sign-up this very week. So if you want to head over to their website, you can learn more about their products, get signed up for their CSA, or perhaps book a visit to their farm. That is www.theforbesfamilyfarm.com. And I did want to remind you guys that This is the last week to sign up for our bulk beef buyers club. So if you wanted to purchase a bulk beef package in 2022 from Taste of the Wind, this is the last week to place your deposit. So if you are interested in that, I've also linked to that in the show notes, but you can head over to tasteofthewind.com and get your deposits down before we are out of time. That ends March 1st at midnight. So I hope you guys have a great week. Stay warm. It's going to be a chilly one for most of the country. And I will talk to you guys next time.